This episode of the EdSurge podcast is brought to you with support from UNC Chapel Hill's Master of Arts in Educational Innovation, Technology, and Entrepreneurship Program, or MITE. That's M-E-I-T-E. A forward-thinking program that develops leaders in educational innovation. Hello and welcome to the EdSurge podcast, a weekly look at how education is changing. I'm Jeff Young. Podcasting is huge these days. You're maybe already convinced of that since you're listening to a podcast right now, but you may not realize how many educational podcasts are out there. By educational, I mean shows that focus on some super focused topic, like a specific period of history or some academic subdiscipline. For instance, there are at least 15 or 20 active podcasts about linguistics, and there are several podcasts out there about conversational Latin. Patifacciatoi, significato. <laughs> oh. Oh, Ludamus. I was always taught no one speaks Latin anymore, but there you go. That was a clip from the Komodo Dictor podcast. These podcasters are not famous, and most have no illusions that they ever will be. Right now, educational audio, it feels extremely utopian, partly because there's not really a market. You know, it's you're not getting really wealthy or even famous through educational audio. You're doing it because of this you know, insane kind of love for your topic and, and for building a small, passionate community around your subject. That's Zachary Davis. Two years ago, he, he was producing an educational podcast in partnership with the Boston Globe called Ministry of Ideas, and he decided to put on a conference for people making these kinds of podcasts that he called Sound Education. At the time, he was a student at Harvard University's Divinity School, so he was able to use the space there, and, and he says he was surprised by how many people turned up. The response was extraordinary. The first year, we had more than 150 speakers. Um, we had more than 500 attendees, and it was magical, like absolutely magical. The feeling of all these independent creators who, um, for the love of their subject, um, and usually nothing else... <laughs> We're making really great content. Today, we're digging into this subculture of educational podcasting. And I was surprised to discover that many of the most popular shows in this space are not done by professors or even leading experts in the field. This is a world that's decidedly alt-ac. In other words, a lot of the folks doing this are, are people who had once planned to be professors, but ended up taking other paths, yet still retain that passion for some niche topic, and a desire to share it with, with as many people as they can online. Of course, plenty of educators are using these podcasts in formal classes, and they say audio can make a unique contribution to teaching. I was also surprised to learn that some of the podcasters got their start making educational videos or, or producing MOOCs, those free online classes that were all the rage a few years ago but ended up not living up to the hype. That's the case for Zachary Davis, who for several years was a producer of video classes for Harvard X, Harvard's MOOC production wing. I started listening to more and more podcasts on my commute while doing the dishes. And I was looking for smart, interesting, engaging, intellectual, academic shows. Um, and I did find a couple, and I, I love philosophy, so I found a, a podcast called Philosophy Bites, and it was uh, an interview show with leading philosophy scholars. And there was another history of philosophy show called, fittingly, The History of Philosophy Without Any Gaps, this mammoth undertaking. Um, and I realized that um, audio fits your life 
in a way that uh, a video-based online course just doesn't for a lot of people. And that that could be one reason why completion rates are so low is that when you are a lifelong learner, it's just very hard uh, to sit down and have the time to kind of go through a course sequentially. And there are people who do, um, but for a lot of people who are looking to cultivate themselves through knowledge and through education, the audio format through podcasts, um, I think has a lot of promise. And I began to be more attracted um, to this medium as a scholarly communication and a, an educational tool. He, he soon decided to try hosting a podcast of his own. We'll hear more from Davis later in this episode. He ran a, a second installment of that conference of his uh, in October. And he's now working to start a commercial platform for educational podcasts. But first, let's look at one example up close and meet a pair of academics who run a linguistics podcast called The Endless Knot, Mark Sundarandam and Avon McMaster. They both teach at Thornalow University at Laurentian in Canada, one as a full professor and the other as an adjunct. They're married, so it's easy for them to head down to their basement studio anytime to make podcast episodes. As we started our conversation, which we, we did via Zoom, I met their cat, Esther. Now she's settled in on the lap. We're good. Okay. Um, as long as she doesn't lick the mic, which she has been known to do. Okay, so how did these two decide to start The Endless Knot? Which, by the way, first started out as a video series on YouTube. And it was me wanting to, you know, kind of reach a larger audience. I, I'm teaching sort of by the course. Um, and so I wanted to, you know, have an output for all of these years of study, uh, and teach the kind of, you know, open-ended, uh, topics that I might not ordinarily get to do within the, you know, the constraints of, you know, what does a given program specifically need, um, and so forth. So... I, I kind of, ha- you know, I, I, my training is kind of in the area of um, f- philology and linguistics and looking at language, but I thought, well, I can use that as a jumping off point to talk about anything because language goes anywhere. Uh, and so I just thought, well, let's look at how language connects everything in the world. But also, it's a medium I'm particularly fond of, podcasts. Uh, Videos are very hard for me to fit into my life because they require me not to multitask. So podcasts are really uh, where I wanted, where I was a listener, and I wanted to be part of that. And we thought this was a way that we could do something together that we could kind of have equal stakes in. How often do they come out? Well, they started, we started ambitiously with every two weeks. It's been petering out. Now we're down to about one a month, one a month. And they're a little over an hour to an hour and a half sometimes yeah. when we can't stop talking. <laughs> Do you have a sense of how many people are listening? And this, if this is like a secret, then you don't have to tell me. But No, it's not a secret. But I mean, I'd say we have an audience of sort of maybe 1,000, 1,500 people on a regular basis. Sure. So that's, that's you know, which is my metric is, is that more than the students that I reach when I lecture? And the answer is a hard yes. <laughs> So, so that to me feels pretty reasonably successful. Mm-hmm. What is the best, what is your favorite moment from doing your three or four seasons of your podcast? Some of the interviews I oh, think yeah. are, have been kind of highlights for us because mm-hmm. it's an opportunity to talk with people that we are, you know, fascinated by. Mm-hmm. And so just on a personal level, it's really great to 
have this opportunity to talk to, to people we sort of admire. And We always come off the interviews on a high, basically. Yeah. <laughs> we always, like, they finish off and we're, we're like, okay, now what? And sometimes it's like one in the morning and it's like, okay, what do we do now? <laughs> is there one you could, is there one person then, that you, one interview you remember, like, really, that really just felt like, oh, wow, this is, this is, this is good stuff? Oh, yes. Richard Thomas. Richard Thomas. It's because he's somebody I cited in my dissertation. He wrote on Latin poetry. I mean, I think of him as this big scholar. He's at Harvard. He's, um, And then he wrote this book on uh, classical allusions in Bob Dylan's uh, works, songs. And so it was the perfect expression of that unexpected connections that's at the heart of what we want to do with our podcast. You know, Latin poetry and Bob Dylan, uh, not an obvious connection. And so we got to talk to this guy that as a scholar, I, you know, was honored to be able to speak with him and then to talk to him about Bob Dylan, which is someone I really like as a singer, was just such a delight. And he was lovely. <laughs> so I think that was probably my favorite. They know their audience. When they did that episode about Bob Dylan, they made sure to try to explain to the academics who were probably listening and who would not be Dylan listeners why they should care. It's kind of the opposite of how I imagine an NPR show for a general audience would do it, since they'd probably assume people would be hooked by Bob Dylan and then maybe get brought into linguistics. Here's how Avon introduced the interview on their podcast. This book is a fascinating read for a Dylan fan, but it's also an engaging introduction to his work for people who may be more familiar with ancient literature than modern folk rock, with careful readings of Dylan's lyrics, explorations of his writing process, and a passionate defense of the relevance, subtlety, emotional power, and lasting significance of the songwriter's work. So both Mark and Avon said they they went to both of the sound education conferences, and, and they're in touch on social media with many of the other people in this educational podcasting community. I mean, history podcasting is one of the biggest yeah. groups. Of, and almost all of those that I know of started as independent mm-hmm. amateurs in the sense of both that they were not professional uh, broadcasters and also in the sense that most of them were not academics. Mm-hmm. They had done perhaps a degree in the subject or not at all. And it was just out of interest. And some of them are now some of the biggest podcasts in, in the educational field anyway. I would say out there, like what's a couple big? What are a couple big ones? If you had to so say? the biggest and the one that everybody who's does history podcasting knows and always cites is History of Rome's Mike Duncan. Mike Duncan did the History of Rome, and now he's doing a podcast called Revolutions. And History and, of Rome is yeah, huge. that was that was the podcast that got me hooked on podcasts. Yeah, same with me. And if you talk to a history podcaster now, ninety nine percent of them will say they do it because they listen to Mike's History of Rome, and I know that because they keep saying it. <laughs> and he was at Sound ADU this time, and, and it was quite exciting. Um, and he's a professor? or he's... No, he was a fishmonger at the time. Um, he, he was doing his master's in, well, he did an undergrad degree in history, he, maybe? Yeah, I think or was so. it in public or was it, policy or, was it or something? Political science. Political science, that's it what it was, political science. science. Yeah. But he never finished his master's in political science. It was just an interest. It was an interest. And... Then somebody somebody inspired by him was Robin Pearson, who does the History of Byzantium, also a very big podcast. He was, he had a podcast before reviewing movies. He was working on, like, he's not, um, and then History of English with Kevin Stroud, a very, another very big, well, very successful podcast. He's a lawyer. He's a lawyer, yeah. He has no training in linguistics or um, etymology or anything. And now he makes more money from... I hope I'm not giving anything away from him, but I know that this is true. <laughs> he makes more money from his podcast, even though it's completely independent, 
than he does from he's actually given up most of his law practice. After the break, how teachers are using these educational podcasts in their classes. Stay with us. The Mighty program is open to innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs interested in making an impact using technology. Mighty features coursework customized to your interests and an internship with a leading-edge edtech company in the Research Triangle. You'll have the opportunity to create learning environments and design breakthrough edtech. The final application deadline is February 11th to be considered for generous scholarship opportunities, and April 14th is the final application due date. Learn more on their website, ed.unc.edu slash mighty. That's ed.unc.edu slash M-E-I-T-E. Now back to the episode. One of the things I wanted to touch on for a couple more minutes is um, something I think, Mark, you mentioned on one of the episodes I heard, which is using a podcast in in a classroom setting. And um, how, you know, I was imagining for many of the people making these kinds of podcasts, that may be part of why they're doing it. But for your, yeah, so how much do you see that as a, uh, as a as a piece of what you're doing with podcasting, and can you give an example of of how you might have used podcasting in teaching? Sure. I, well, I teach uh, an online uh, course for my university, uh, and it's it basically it's the the study and evolution of the English language. So it looks at both um, the sort of theoretical side of how how the English language works, but also um, you know the history of the language and how it develops over time, uh, and you know. Teaching a podcast, uh, teaching about language mainly through text is very limiting because you don't. I mean, language is a spoken thing in, in large part. Uh, it's it, it also exists in writing too, but you know, fundamentally, it's a it's uh, either a spoken or uh, can operate through other medium like sign. Uh, but doing that without um, without direct access to the sound of it is very difficult. And so having access to, uh, to both, uh, podcasts and videos, I think is essential to really make that kind of course work. So I've used, uh, podcasts, podcast episodes from, uh, you know, various other linguistic podcasts, uh, to, to kind of enrich that course. I've used, uh, an episode, uh, from the vocal fries. Uh, I use an episode from talk to talk the talk, uh, podcast. Um, another language another podcast language. from uh, Australia. Australia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I think having access to that kind of material is really essential in making the experience for the students, um, you know, rewarding and it, it, ma- it makes it a lot easier for them. There's a conversational Latin podcast out there called Cuomodo Dicitur that is uh, some people sitting around and chatting in Latin. And I use that when I'm teaching Latin. So I use it, sometimes I play it in class and we listen to it. And then I ask, you know, talk the students through a few pieces of it and what they can understand. I've given it as a bonus assignment, you know, transcribe a couple of minutes of it and tell me what they're saying. Or, uh, or and I've also just suggested it as listening for people. But I also have used a couple of episodes of ours. I recently, this past term, I taught a course called Race and Ethnicity in the Ancient World. And I assigned as assigned reading two episodes, three episodes, actually, from our own podcast that we did a couple of years ago, one about words for race in the ancient world and the early English world and what the concepts of race were in those periods. So we did an episode on that a few years ago. 
I assigned that as one of the introductory readings in the first couple of weeks of my course. And then we also did a couple of episodes where we interviewed eight different scholars of medieval and classical studies about the problems, about what race, how race factored into the discipline, and in particular about the problems of racism in disciplines and how both ancient, uh, the classical world and the early English world, medieval world, are used uh, by hate groups these days. So we did these interviews, and then I cut them all together, and it was the most produced episodes we've ever done, and I'm never doing it again. It was so much work, and I didn't know what I was doing. But anyway, I cut them all together so that they had the answers, you know, everybody's answers to the various questions and stuff, and made a two-parter, and that I assigned to my students as well. And I think um, they were just very useful ways to bring more voices into the classroom than I can provide. Yes, of course, I can give lots of articles and reading, but the good thing about a podcast is it's pitched at a level that my students can absorb when it's that kind of discussion issue. Um, anyone can absorb it more easily, I think, than an academic article. And so I found that the students reacted well to that, and that was useful. Zachary Davis, who runs that annual conference for educational podcasters, agrees. I mean, truly, I don't think there's anything that sparks conversation quite like a good podcast episode. Uh, there's something about hearing voices, um, hearing archival tape, um, and it's it's different than video because something you know like stirs the mind to be thinking even a little bit more. So I think um, you are seeing podcasts enter classrooms in, in all sorts of new ways. Davis now works at a company building a platform for these podcasters. It's going to be called Lyceum. It's scheduled to be released in January. One of his hopes is to make it a kind of central place to find educational podcasts, the way YouTube has become for educational videos. You know, it's one big challenge with podcasting is is the classic discoverability problem is there are 700,000 podcasts out there um i don't know how many educational podcasts but you know in the tens of thousands um how do you find good shows cuz you only have so much time you know you need you need help um and there aren't really great curation tools out there Davis also plans to build in tools so educators can um, have their students discuss podcast episodes in class and ways for educational podcasters to charge to access their episodes. You know, I'm really interested in working with adjuncts and um, um, people who are kind of maybe not totally, like not on the tenure track, but have such great teaching skills and maybe kind of a great talent for, for lecturing. I have a lot of adjunct friends um, and I actually hate the way that adjuncts are treated um, by current university system. So I really want Lyceum to be a place where teachers can find dignity and um, also potentially income for the knowledge that they've gained and their ability to teach that to people. So I'm, I'm really excited about um, giving people a home who uh, for, for whom uh, the academy has been a place of you know, frustration um, and rejection. One challenge for the Lyceum Project, Davis admits, will be convincing people to download an app to listen to educational podcasts, which is a key part of his model. I think most of us just go to one podcast app, like Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, to listen to all kinds of shows we like. The podcasters I talked to said they're definitely interested in something like Lyceum coming along to serve as a guide to this fragmented world of educational audio. I would be most interested in it as a place for people to find more material that is like the stuff they like mm -hmm. and has some credibility to it, has not 
because in podcasting, you can't just go and look and see if somebody has a PhD in what they're doing, because frankly, that isn't a guarantee of a good show. And most people don't. Most of the educational podcasts is because, and it's actually one of my little hobby horses, is trying to get more academics into podcasting. And one of the big problems there is time and lack of a reward structure within academia for podcasting. Podcasting is not seen as publication. It's not seen as research by too many places. And so there's a sort of disincentive to, to spend any time on it. Most of the really good podcasters who do educational stuff out there, you can't just look at their the letters after their name and know that they're good. You have to, you know, you have to have somebody who knows enough about the subject to say, oh, yeah, no, that's really a very good show. They know they do their research. Mm -hmm. They know what they're talking about. They're giving you a balanced presentation. And how do you find that recommendation? This has been the EdSearch podcast. We'd love to hear what your favorite educational podcast is, especially if you know of one that doesn't have a big following yet, but that you love. Please send along the suggestion to Jeff at EdSearch.com, and we'll share some of those on a future episode. Of course, we hope you like this podcast. Every Tuesday, we're here with new episodes like this one. So please subscribe if you don't already and share it with a friend or on social media to help us grow our audience. This episode was produced by me, Jeff Young. We'll be back next week with more on how education is changing. Thanks for listening. <laughs>